Hey, everybody. Welcome to Babs Buzz. I know, I know you have every right to kvetch. It's been time. I've missed all of you terribly, but it was nice seeing you guys on the forum. I love that site. It's a lot of fun to, to visit you guys and hang out there a little bit when I can. Um, I'm going to put the call out to you for uh, specific scripts in a minute, but first I'm going to do the year in review. This year for us was very good. It was a mixed bag. Uh, four options in the pipeline, two sold shorts. Uh, one of them was for Janet. Was it for Janet? No, it was for Phil. Phil, uh, we sold a short for Phil. Actually, he did the selling, really. The, the writing did it for him. I just you know, made sure that the deal was kosher. And so uh, uh, hat tip to Phil on that. And uh, that was kind of that was kind of an interesting way that came about, you know, the screenwriters uh, university newsletter that they're paying jobs. Most of those a lot of them aren't. I think Dina joined, too. You really guys, you really should join that. If you're not sure about it, uh, let us know and we'll make sure that you have the link to get to the site. Um, I think it's eight or nine dollars a month, some ridiculously cheap thing. And there's often paying gigs. And what's so cool about it is one of the main things I like about it mostly is that it gives you an opportunity to do shorts. And you guys are all really good at that. So I've been sending leads to Michael and to Pia and to Dina, a bunch of folks going, hey, they're looking for shorts. Run with it. So if you get an email from me, that's why. The year in your review. Okay, so we've got two options for Jason's, uh, Jason Bortz. Uh, one's a $5 million plus budget. The other one is a $1 million budget. Oddly and interestingly and fascinatingly, and I hate L-Y words. Did I mention that I hate L-Y words? Um, Canadian television is, uh, it looks like they're going to shoot dark spaces. Very, very jazzed about that. So excited. Trying to get a buyer for Immigrant Demortal. If any of you guys know producers who are on the hunt for quality material, the script is the next sixth sense. And I say that not tongue in cheek. It really is. Uh, Craig Clyde was uh, a little bit busy. He did a wonderful script about uh, uh, lesbian uh, lovers who uh, are Christian and uh, they're part of the church and they're musicians. And it's what happens to them. Exceptional script. Very well, very well voiced, beautifully written. I met with the ladies. We have the rights to their story. I read about them in a Kaiser newsletter, uh, interviewed them. Coincidentally, they lived very close to me. And I said, hey, you know, we think this would make a, a really heartfelt feature because love has everything to do with it. it, it it's, it's gotten a little out of hand with this whole, you know, homosexuality versus this versus that. I, my own challenges to deal with when it comes to who I am as, as in, in character. So I don't look at or question other people's motives, sins, whatever they may call it. And so when I interviewed these gals, I just interviewed them as women. It just so happens they're lesbians. So what? Okay, well, they were very nice and gorgeous on top of it and musically talented. Um, they have a song that they did that I liked very much. It needed a bridge. I totally wanted to sit in the studio and help them write it. But they didn't write this song, so I couldn't stick my two cents in. And I really, really wanted to because it needed a bridge so bad. But that's another conversation for another show. Um, Year in Review also brought uh, Craig Clyde a little bit of attention. So he may have a writing gig that we pitched him for. We're waiting on that. Uh, Pia's rocking and rolling something. We may have some action on that. So uh, things are moving. But as usual, you know this business. It's very much like a whole lot of nothing. The great thing about it is it feeds our soul, for God's sake. I mean, what else are we going to do? It's like I always say, what am I going to do? Go to the mall? It's the truth. I always say that. It's the truth. Got to write. Got to rewrite. Got to have table reads. Speaking of table reads, guy got back to me, did a table read. 
And pretty much, I'm not going to quote him, but I'll paraphrase. Oh my gosh, Barbara, you were so right. This was a, it made a huge difference. I couldn't believe the difference. Wow. It really changed my attitude about table reads. Please, guys, if you're going to take the time to write a script, don't keep reading it to yourself over and over again. That's beyond myopic. And you know what? It's not going to help you. It's not going to help you craft rich characters that have layers. It's not going to help you with your with your uh, uh, grammatical choices and your wordsmithing choices. I mean, you, it's not going to stretch you in any way. If you're your only audience and you're reading this and, wow, that sounds good. And, boy, that's going to look good. Boy, if I had five million, I could X, right? Don't do that. Find a way to make table reads happen. Yes, they are not easy to organize. I'll give you that. But just dangle some pizza in someone's face. I mean, how hard could that be? We used to do them. We love them. We have a lot of fun. Um, I wanted to mention, too, something that is so subtle about this business, and yet it's really important. You know, I started out doing this, what, Michael, we've been doing this show, gosh, since 2009 or whatever. It's going on five years. I don't even know. Um, he'll probably have the stats for me shortly because he's the most fabulous producer on the planet who's also in love. So congratulations, Michael. That's very cool that you're engaged. I'm very excited about that. I wish I could give you a big hug. Um, when we read stuff and we pick up stuff and we see stuff very often. What did he write it? 2012. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Michael says 2012, I think. And he's probably going to go running around looking, but we can post that later. When I read stuff, I, I'll get, I read a script for a friend of mine and the guy is probably going to be a client because we have a deal going with a producer. Specifically, I put these two guys together because I knew they would work well together. So the writer is doing the rewrite on spec. The producer is a doll. doesn't pay very well, but it doesn't matter. It's going to get shot. It's going to have talent. It's going to be great. The client's going to get the credit. And it and it and who knows? It might do very well at Sundance. And of course, when stuff does well at Sundance, it creates its own buzz. So these two guys are working together. He sends me another script. I can't tell you the title right now because it's just, but the, I, I read it and I laughed out loud. Now, comedy is very hard to write. I haven't read a script this funny since Overkill, and that was 2008. Very, very well crafted. Um, I, although Joe Downey is very good at being funny. Rhino, one of the best scripts of comedy scripts I've read, hasn't been shot. I would love to buy back that script, but the producer won't let me because he knows it's going to be, it's going to be great. It's going to be great. Um, but the good news for my writer is if that one really goes, then my client and I are going to really celebrate and we're going to do some really good things for his career. But I digress. So I read this comedy. It, it has to do with a food critic and it's heck of funny. It's just funny and well-voiced. And I read the whole thing really quickly before you know it, you're on page 30. Then before you look down, you're wow, page 50. Oh my gosh, this is really working. And then I let it sit. You know, I just, I process slowly. I'm not very hair trigger. When I, if I could see that it's great, I'll tell the writer right away, it's great. So I told him it's great. I said, but let me tell you a couple of beats that I think are missing and why. And this is all going to bring me to Keenan Ivory Wayans, so bear with me. Keenan Ivory Wayans was one of the judges on, uh, what was the name of that show, Michael? Last Comic Standing. Now, I don't know if you guys ever watched that show, but um, Last Comic Standing, and I'm just making a quick note to myself, tasteless. Um, Last Comic Standing was exceptional this year. And you know what made it exceptional? You got to see the creative process while these guys are coming up with material and writing and how they did it. And I, my husband and I picked the winner weeks before he was a finalist. I mean, we just fell in love with this guy when this guy did his Walmart bit. You know, turn my light on, I guess I'm, my light on, I guess I'm on, I guess I'm open, I guess I'm open. Um, he was just 
hilarious. Uh, his name is Rodman. Rodman, we love you. So if you come to town, you have to have dinner at my house. I'm buying. We're, I won't cook, though, because we want you to live to tell the tale. But I'm going to go see him stand up as soon as I find out wherever the heck he is. So Keenan Ivory Wayans is a judge. Roseanne is a judge. And one of my favorite comics ever on the planet, even though he uses the F word far too much and he really doesn't have to do it, is Russell Peters. Russell Peters, hilarious Punjab accent. He does his, it's really, really funny. If you guys have never seen Russell Peters stand up, you don't know what you're missing. The guy's hilarious, but I warn you now, potty mouth. So when he imitates his father, somebody going to get hurt real bad. Very funny. Very funny. Laugh your ass off. Okay. So they're the three judges. And it's coming down to the wire. And suddenly, out of nowhere, Keenan Irie Wayans, it's his turn. And out of the blue, out of this nothing, it's just this quiet, he says, let me tell you about tonight's performance. And he proceeds to notice a beat that was so microscopic, it was a kiloton bomb. Here's here's the punchline. I saw the same thing. And I felt so good about that because, as you guys know, we're all trying to get better at what we do. You're trying to be better writers. I'm trying to be a better agent. My core competency seems to be story analyst. So I, I feed into that narrative a lot. I was so excited to hear him say what he said, but I couldn't articulate it the way he did. And he did it in one sentence. What he said was, and I'm paraphrasing, I'm not quoting. He said, when you are not kind, you are not funny. What made this guy so funny was he was genuinely kind in his comedy. He was making fun of everyday people like me who were total retards when we're at a cast register and doing all this other stuff. That beat, that stuck with me all summer. And I put it on my show notes to remind you of this one thing. And here it is. When you read script, script after script after script after script, what you learn is you learn to spot this stuff and even I could miss something. And I say even I, absent any big ego, I'm just saying, you know, I read a lot of scripts, so I'm going to miss something. Jason had a meeting with an A-list actor and the guy told him this beat could be right here and here's why. And Jason just went. OMG. And Jason told me this story and I went, oh my gosh, this is what professionals who are the nth degree more talented than me and more talented than Rodman and more talented than they, they see this much more quick, quickly than we ever do because they're surrounded by it, but they get immersed in it. So what does that mean to you, writer? I'm so glad you hung in there because this is going to be so worth your while. The reason why it's important to you is that you guys in my mind, from what I see, are in too much of a hurry. You get it on the page, you want it read, you want it done. You get it on the page, you want it read, you want it done. This is not add water and stir. This is, you're going to put down a script, and in a year, you're going to go back to it and go, oh my gosh, this is garbage, because you will have learned so much. Hopefully, it won't take that long, but you see my point. Looking for rewrites, looking for reasons to up things, looking for subtleties behind little character layers huge oh my gosh it's huge when Keenan and i remain said this i almost fell off the sofa i think wait a minute peter did i fall off the sofa yes honey you fell yes i fell off the sofa it was just a marvelous moment for me it was the moment that it was a very much for me because i'm you know you guys i'm small potatoes i mean i have access you guys know that but 
you know, I have to bring great. You know, if I don't bring great, then Babs, you don't have game. This isn't undeniable, which I think is a great motto. Kathy Monraviov's uh, motto for her management company, undeniable. Okay, I'm sorry. That is killer. That's one of the best slogans I've ever heard. It just says it in one word. Is this story undeniable, she says. And I thought, oh, my God, that is great. So the point about all that is it's okay to be self-critical. It's okay to be self-analyzing and it's all that stuff. But don't send me a script, tell me it's done and you don't want to touch it again. Don't send me a script and tell me that you're not going to do a table read. Don't send me a script and say to me, which someone said, I did everything you asked me to do. I got coverage and as, as if, because now you know what I have to do? You're going to love this. I have to now close these emails with the following. This is not a promise of representation. Now, I, I hate to reduce it to the, to the ridiculous, but a couple of people put me in a spot where I had to do that. Send be, Nice guy sends me a script about Elvis. I said, so how'd you get the permission from the um, estate to do this? He said, I don't have permission. I said, then you can't write this. I mean, you could write it. You could write it all day long. But unless you put Joe Blow in there as the main character, he's, well, nobody knows Joe Blow. I said, bingo, baby. How does your story stand up? If you take Elvis out and put Joe Blow in, not very good, is it? That means you need to do some serious rewrites. Why? Because that's how characters are created. That's how that's how indelible characters are created. Kevin Spacey schlepping on set, uh, you know, usual suspects at this ridiculous limp that he had. And then he walks away looking like Mr. Swab's totally sexy, wanted to bite him. Okay. Oh, I got a little personal there. Anyway, but the point, you see my point, even if you're looking at a script and you're reading it and you're saying, oh, this is done and it's not done. And I don't think it's going to get sold. Write because you must write. Period. Uh, did I mention Diane Greenlee last show, Michael? I don't recall. You can, maybe you can let me know about that while I go on to my next thing. Okay, let's talk about underscore in a script. A lot of people write the song. Um, did I? No, he said 15 minutes. We're going to go along, Michael, so I hope you have your cocktail. Um, uh, I was sitting down and, and, and reviewing some of the things that had made this year, you know, better than last the year before. Right. And I'm looking at this stuff and I'm looking at the list and I'm, I'm pleased. I have to tell you, I'm, I'm really pleased. I'm really impressed. The thing that I don't talk about very much, which I should talk about more. So I'm going to get this down one more time is music in the screenplay. You, I think it's a very pedestrian thing to point out, but I'm going to point it out anyway, just to save you some eraser and backspace time. Don't say, the song Immigrant Song plays or the song Whole Lot of Love plays or the song, um, you know, Nights in White Satin plays. Say this, a song, something like the Immigrant Song, because the director will get an idea of what you're talking about. He'll, you'll impress him with that. OK. The reason why I say that is because if you stamp a song and say that has to play, it kind of limits you because. Here's what here's what a director and a producer think. Oh, crap, we got to buy rights. You see what I mean? If it's that pertinent to the story, it creates a cost problem. So it pretends you're writing the check for the production. You're going to go to a music uh, director and you're going to say, hi, this is the vibe I want. See if you can find me some unknown talent and let me know what they're going to cost me. I need something that sounds like this. And by the way. If the beat is a 12 o'clock moment, i.e. the shark under the ocean, you'll notice that the underscore there is very, very harp-like and very, uh, it's very subtle, it's very soft and very, very, very quiet and very sultry. It creates a mood, you know what I mean? It's, uh, it's very, very, when he makes his attack, it's dun-dun-dun-dun, right? You know that. Okay. Music 
makes the screenplay. And I have two screenplays that I have told both of the producers, please, I know these two stories very well. I'm also a professional musician. I sing, I record, I've done it. I've been there, done that. It's not a lot of the stuff that I, I don't, and I'm not a composer. Okay. I'm don't, don't give you that impression. It's not what I'm saying. I'm going to make a point eventually, I swear. It's been a long time since we chatted. So, my darlings, I hope you're all right with all of this rambling. But it will make sense when you do your playback, right? So, okay. So, this particular script, I said to the producer, I have ideas for music. Please don't do anything till you talk to me. Plus, I have access to musicians. They are professionals. They get paid to record. They get paid to appear. They get paid. They get paid. They get paid. A couple of them even ASCAP members, okay, which is the union. All right. Which is songwriting union. Okay. I meet this guy in Starbucks. He's a doll. His name is Gion. And he says, he gives me his card and I see it. He, he plays the, what I thought was a ukulele, but it's actually pronounced ukulele. And, you know, I think, oh, this is really great, cute, you know, but the guy's adorable. I just, I just want to bite him. He's, he's really, he's a Hawaiian Mickey Mouse is what he is. He really is just, he just, I just want to bite him. And he's very nice to me and he's very much the gentleman. I played his music and I was taken to a whole other place. It was this beautiful picking and strumming and so hip and so edgy. And it's a freaking ukulele for God's sake. Now you never, the point about this is if you're writing sounds like the immigrant song, think again, try instead to hone in on the instrument. For example, a cello piece plays here or a, a shredding electric guitar riff plays here or a ukulele, or as I correctly now have to say, it is ukulele plays here. You see where I'm going with this? Rather than you brand it, well, I mean, what if the guy hates Zeppelin? You know, there are people, there's maybe one or two of them left on the planet. I haven't found them yet. When I find them, I will kill them. But when, <laughs> I know that was funny, honey. All right. So my, my, my point about that is don't brand with a song if you can avoid it. Rather brand. I saw a writer do this very well. He said, uh, I think he wrote something like an orgasmic crescendo of strings can be heard. It was something really, you know, very sexy and edgy and cool. But you got the impression of this sort of rising orchestra sound, right? Of course you did. I just told you that and you saw it and you heard it. Of course you did. You're my students. You're the best. You're writers. You get it. So, Gian, uh, if you want to hear his music, you let me know and I will send you a link and you guys can check. Okay. Next. So, I got Keenan Irie Wayans done. I got Gian done. Um, did I talk about uh, Mark? Yes, I did. Okay. So, oh, so here's where I went with Keenan Ivory Wayans. Let me dot that I and cross that T. I gave the notes back to the writer. I have to tell you, this is a produced writer who's very busy. I'm not going to tell you who he is. I could, but I don't want to because I haven't signed him for this piece yet. As soon as I sign him, I'll tell you who it is. He was very complimentary to my notes. But just to be on the safe side, before I sent them to him, I sent them over to Kathy. And I go, Kathy, here's my notes. What do you think? And she was so complimentary here's the point all of us together make us better at what we're doing see what i mean i get better you get better kathy gets better we all get better with practice we don't seek perfection that's stupid progress not perfection progress not perfection you listen and say yes progress not perfection okay all right next uh the highly experienced i don't know what that means okay what is your story i notice when I read a lot of uh, scripts in a week that mood is lost for talking heads. 
I understand dialogue is important, but I would urge you to look at every scene, start it halfway in the middle. In other words, take the whole scene, right? You've got it written down in front of you. You got it. You know what I'm talking about because you're probably struggling with this right now. Cut it in half and read the scene from the middle to the end and let me know if you are doing better as a writer who's editing your own work before you do a table read because you're going to do a table read, right? We talked about that. I'm going to get a little badge. And every time someone does a table read, I'm going to mail them a badge. So what's your story? I can promise you that if you start in the middle of each scene, your story is going to, you're going to see the holes in your story faster that way. Okay. Remember, you're not, as, as literary is, as literary as this kind of work is, and as literary as writing is because we're dealing with words and paper and pencils and computers, as literary as it is, screenplays are not literary works. Tarantino is living proof of this. The guy can't spell. And I don't mean to be mean. He he doesn't give a shit, right? I mean, the guy is an Oscar winner. On a script, by the way, that I said win an Oscar. Did I mention that earlier? Yes, I think I did. Anyway, um, I'm just having fun with you guys. It's really good to, to hear you out there wanting to know more and learning. And I'm getting emails from folks going, I need my Babs buzz fix. And, you know, I kind of miss doing the show because it really it gets me excited to go out there for you guys. And, you know, even if I'm swinging at a pitch in the dirt once in a while, most of the time I'm going to get a base hit. Can you tell that the series is on? Okay. So when you're looking at all this stuff and you're sitting back and you're reviewing it, if you go, if you go from, if you go, let me say this another way. B follows A. C follows B. D follows C. Try really hard to keep in your head that this is not a literary work. I just had a guy pitch me today. Sweetheart of a guy. I said, this is really good writing, but it's a novel. You need to look at this script, take a look at it, and look at the difference between the two. There's no talking practically for the first couple of pages. You've got dialogue going left and right. We don't know these people. We don't care. Find a way. I mean, there is dialogue that can be done very quickly in a very sharp way. Um, I know if I leave Michael alone long enough, he'll find me a, a really good script or movie that starts with dialogue. But in the end, you've got to, as Hitchcock said so beautifully, it's a story told with pictures. So if you're not setting the tone with the visual, that means you have to set the tone, right, with the dialogue. What are the choices you have? You're going to count on the lighting to do it? That, that's going to happen later, and that's a whole other ball game. Um, so if you want to know your story and what your story is, I'll tell you straight up, you better start in the middle of the scene because that's going to pop holes in your script faster than uh, than you can uh, bait a mouse with cheese. What does this say? Who? What's the arc that bisects your story? I have no idea what I'm talking about. We'll skip that note. 80s videos. Oh, yeah. This is the other thing that, that writers have to do, and this is difficult. And I have to tell you, I I was a complete failure at this. As an audio vocalist, I did not translate to video well. I have a face made for radio. I really do. I look too much like Carly Simon, Bette Midler. I look like way too many people. I could not brand me to save my life. Every time someone saw me, they saw someone else. So I knew I was going to be a studio musician or I wasn't going to do it. Or I was going to be on the road, you know, as a rock singer and have fun and get my yayas out. But as you age, that becomes harder to do. I have no idea how Mick Jagger's doing it, but I guess... That's the price of fame. You know, he lives very well, so he can afford to live very well. So 
he's still on the road. But oh my God, those guys look like the Walking Dead. Anyway, um, and I'm sure they're still talented. I mean, age really doesn't have anything to do with it. it they say it's a number, but I can tell you straight up, it's not just a number. I'm, I'm approaching another birthday next weekend. Kids, it ain't just a number. So 80s videos was to music, right? So 80s to music, you know, you, if you... If you were an artist in the 80s, you had to be able to go to video. If you didn't, they found a way to make you go to video. And you know, you've seen some really bad videos with really good songs. So, well, the video isn't good, but the song is great, you know. Oh, and you get to see what the guys look like. So, um, 80s videos kind of made artists go in a whole different direction that was visual and all this other stuff. Um, well, as a screenwriter, to the extent that you understand coverage is going to make you a better screenwriter. What do I mean by that? When a guy is doing coverage or girls doing coverage, the beauty of it is they don't know you from Adam. Be happy about that. Okay. Because that's going to give you the gift that you need to get. And you know, it might hurt your feelings a little bit, but you're a grown up. But just put your big pants on and suck it up. If you could read a script, if you were being paid to read a script and it made your eyes bleed, right? You'd say, okay, the idea is good. Here's what's wrong. And why would you say that? Well, number one, it's based on experience. Number two, it's your opinion. Number three, you've been trained to read these particular kinds of literary works in a certain way. You would not read a script the way you read poetry, for example. You're not going to sit down and read Shakespeare the way you'd read a novel by Stephen King. Shakespeare is very, very, you have to chew on the words. Because what Shakespeare's did, what made Shakespeare so brilliant, and I'm not a Shakespeare kid, but I get it. What made Shakespeare so brilliant was every single word had angst. Every single word had a reason. Every single word had an emotional, had intense emotional import to it. Well, a lot of novel writing isn't like that. A lot of write, novel writing is expository. You can't do that in screenplays. You've got to get in and get out. As soon as I open a screenplay, see it's 120 pages, I cringe. Now, I don't do that with Craig Clyde. I don't do that with Craig Sabin. I don't do that with Pia. She, even though P would never do that because she knows better. I don't do that with Jason Bortz. Why? Because they write so well, so quickly. I don't care because I don't notice it. I'm reading quickly. I'm not, I don't have to skim. There's no big chunks of lack on the page. You know, I hate ING words. I want to remind you guys of that. I'm almost done, Michael, I swear. Um, so where did I want to end this? I wanted to end this on something. Yes, Carl. Okay. Let's talk about life for a minute. You guys. My hope is that you bring me a screenplay and I can sell it and you get a very, very big paycheck. Six figures or better so that I can retire, meet you at Cozumel, and then we can all jump on a plane and fly and stay at Michael's house. Because Michael said if, you know, that happens, he'll let us all stay at his place. Right, Michael? So the plan is to sell something, make big money, and go to Australia to visit Michael. My husband and I will fly down there. If anyone wants to meet us there, you can come with us. But So bring me a great script. Just like, you know. Martin did. Uh, what's his name? Um, Martin Lancaster brought me a great script. I can't get it going. I've got to try again. I've got to. I love that script. I know he'd tweak it if he could. But let's talk about life. Life is breath. For some people, it is uh, children, animals. But as you live and you breathe and you work, we as humans must find something that makes us passionate and I was singing very early on in my life. I sang from a very young age. I had a very good voice. I had severely good chops. I mean, my mother put me on a table in a pizzeria, and I just let it rip. 
I was very much the sun will come out tomorrow kid, way before the sun will come out tomorrow kid was Sarah Jessica Parker, because I'm older than she is. But as I grew older, I, I didn't understand what humility was in art. And I was very, very, very obnoxious, much more than I am now. Now I'm obnoxious, but I can get away with it because I'm adorable and I'm funny and I'm, I really do have a servant's heart. But as I grew older, I would sing in bands and I would record. And this guy, Jimmy, yeah, you may have heard me talk about him before. He's a really good guitarist. He had a voice very much like mine. We we're both crooners. If you remember old school crooners, not buble type crooners, but we were just crooners. I mean, we just had those kinds of voices, but because it was rock and roll and that's what we loved and that's what was paying, we would go on the road and we would do that. And I met him and he's very nice. His wife is adorable, Teresa. She's a gem. And I met a, a bunch of people, Carl Casella, Tom Teeley, uh, Russell Velasquez, who I just adore. But Jimmy, I was leaving a studio one night. We were recording over at the Daily Planet in Midtown Manhattan. And I was leaving the studio and Jimmy said, listen, I love you dearly. You have to know that. But you are very difficult. You're not mean. You're just obnoxious. And I think I can help you. Now, when someone you love tells you that, it's easier to take because you trust them. If, if it's someone that you don't know that hands you a book and says, you need to read this because you're really a pain in the ass, you're going to go shove it. But Jimmy, I put a lot of credibility in his wisdom. He's very, very sharp for a young guy. Married kids, you know, so I kind of, you know, he's got to have something going for him. But other than the music, I mean, yeah, he's stable. So he gives me this book. It's called How to Win Friends and Influence People. And uh, fast forward 20 years, I write my first novel, Severe Tire Damage Story of a Rock Singer. And I'm going through my ideas of who really moved me in life. Christ is first. He is the cornerstone of my heart and my life. And then I went down the list, you know, family, friends. And I couldn't forget Jimmy because Jimmy... I mean, between my Bible and that book, I probably probably kept me out of jail. So um, as I became a, a more mature Christian, and I still not not very good at it, I stumble all the time, but I have Christ standing in the gap, which makes me very happy. But I was actually able to reconnect with Jimmy, you know, Facebook and all that stuff. So we reconnect, and I reconnect with him and a guy by the name of Carl Casella. Now, let me just tell you about Carl Casella real quick. Carl Casella was a whiz, an engineering whiz. I mean, the guy... You put him in front of piano, he tickled the ivories, and the, you could practically hear the piano go, oh, Carl, I just love having you around. And he'd go in the engineer, and he just, in those days, we were, we ran reel-to-reel, you know, the big tape, you guys remember that, maybe some of you don't, but we did, we ran reel-to-reel, and recording was fun, and yeah, occasionally a line of coke came out, it's no big deal, we're not big, really big druggies, but occasionally, we, but that's not why we were getting together. We were getting together because we love music and Carl was talented and Jimmy was talented and Russell was talented and Bill Teeley, the brother of Tom was talented and all these guys, just great. Jim Riddle. All, but we got together. Tom um, uh, Teeley was the brother of Bill Teeley. They used to be, I think Tom did Beatlemania a million years ago. Gigi played piano for Beatlemania. This whole little click was really kind of cool. We all really liked each other. There was a little bit of, there was a splash of Fleetwood Mac in there, but no big deal. Okay, so I loved Carl. I loved Jimmy and I adored, I mean, just adored what we had as friends. And I learned to um, be a better musician because of these people. I really liked Russell Velasquez. I love Russell Velasquez, did total talent. I said all of that to say this, you know how I tell you to live your life. Well, last year I was actually fortunate enough to be able to go to New York 
and reunite with these guys. I got to sit down with Jimmy and I got to sit down with Carl and we got, I was in the studio. I got to record with my sister. We recorded mind over matter. Why? Because the book that I wrote where I acknowledged Jimmy is being made into a musical for Broadway. Okay. They took the book. They said, we could put lyrics to this. We could put music to this. Craig Sabin wrote the script. You know, they call it the book on Broadway, but he wrote the script for the musical. Jimmy and Carl wrote the lyrics and, and, you know, played with the script a little bit. Russell Velasquez just recorded a catchy tune, which I will send you the link, Michael, so you can post it. Cool. I wonder, maybe you may even want to use it to close the show because this will be our last show for the year. I said all of that to say this. As a Christian, my job is to testify for Christ. I tell people what Christ did for me. I don't convert them. God does that. That's not my business. When I saw Carl last year, year was it a year ago, a year and a half ago, uh, he had lung cancer. And uh, he he looked great. His hair was short. And he tickled the piano like you can't believe. I mean, the guy just melts it and we shredded some tracks. And it was great. And I said to him, I, I hope your, your, your life is right with Christ. And I got into some personal items with him about all that. And he said to me, Babs, Barbara, you know, I love you. I'm good. God and I, we've, we've, we sorted it out. And I said, great. I knew that day I was never going to see him again. I knew it. Absolutely knew it. And he died. He died uh, several weeks ago, passed away um, in New York. And uh, he had just been nominated for a sound design award for his work on One Night with Janis Joplin. Kids, art is great. Music is great. Writing is great. It's great. Feeds our soul. Let's connect with each other. I am probably more in love with Michael Coronetto today than I was when we first started the show and maybe even yesterday. He is so dear to my heart. When I see those cheeks on Facebook, I just want to bite him because he's so cute. Pia has been an amazing friend to me. And no, I'm not dying. I just want you guys to know how grateful I am. Dina, um, Brett, there's so many of you that you don't know how you uplift me, and that's why I can do what I do for you. So in closing the show for the year, I want to you know, wish you a fabulous Halloween. Boo, boo, boo. Don't forget to rent Insidious and get popcorn and put your feet up. And a fabulous Thanksgiving if you so celebrate that. And a wonderful Christmas if you so celebrate that. Uh, for my mind and my heart, Jesus is the reason for the season. But then again, Jesus is the reason for me for everything. But please know. That in everything we do, we are not guaranteed breath. So if there's someone you haven't spoken to or written or connected with, I urge you to connect with them and never let a compliment go by. I urge you to keep writing and you better rewrite because I'll know it if you don't and live your life. Peace. Wanna be with me and I want
And I will 